Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. We are talking about the secret of contentment. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, that's the secret that Paul wants to impart to us. Whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You see, it's not going to happen that you're going to be in a better state someday and then you'll be content. That's not what's going to happen. If you can't be content in whatsoever state you are, you'll never be content. That's the problem. And so we need we to grapple with this thing because we are a discontented people. It's, it's by nature we're discontented. <clears throat> you see it in the Bible. You see it in our own lives. You know, <clears throat> uh, you might call us malcontents. Uh, that would be a harsher word to use, but we're, we're discontented people. Now, if we're going to learn to be content, we've got to put some principles into place in our lives. And that's what we're looking at. That's what we're finishing off this study, looking at how we're going to be content uh, in this world. And Paul's saying he had learned in whatsoever state he was therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, Paul is very clearly saying to us here that his contentment was not based upon his circumstances. When he says... He knew how to be abased. He knew how to be made low. If we were to go through the life of Paul, the apostle, we would find there were such horribly low times. We would find times, times when he was cast into prison, times when he was stoned and left for dead. Uh, people deserted him. You know, we would find a hard life. Right? <clears throat> he knew how to be abased, but he also knew how to abound. He knew great times of great blessing in his life. But they didn't change his contentment. And you see, that's this, the first thing we've got to overcome in our lives is overcome the lie that says, okay, well, if the right things happen to me, then I'll be content. Because when were all the right things happening for you? They're not, are they? And even if they do, it's temporary. So if your contentment is based upon the right things happening, what happens is you have a temporary contentment and the rest of the time you're discontent. And, you know, oftentimes that's exactly how we are. You know, the world at large, but believers too. We should be the most contented people of all, but we're not very often. Right? And we need to learn, we need, we need to clue in and catch the, uh, what Paul is talking about here because he's conquered this thing and he wants to teach us how to conquer it, right? <clears throat> Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Right? <clears throat> Notwithstanding, ye have done well in that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me. When he's talking about communication, by the way, he's talking about giving. No church sent him money. And no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Father, would you bless your word to us now. Help us to lay hold upon it. Help us to catch the truth. And help us, Lord, to live uh, in this truth. 
Lord, we love you. And we, we know, Lord, that you're at work in our lives. Help us to live in that reality in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we talked last week about learning to be independent but not indifferent, right? You can't hook your wagon to somebody else and expect them to make you happy. It's not going to happen. Everybody is struggling with, with their own problems and their own issues. So you, you, you've got to learn that, that you're not going to be dependent on other people for your happiness, and yet you can't be indifferent to other people too. So there's, there's a fine line uh, to, to work there. I mean, Paul could have preached the gospel uh, and said, well, I don't care whether anybody gets saved or not. You know, I'm just going to preach the gospel because that's my job. You know, it's up to you to get saved. And if you don't, then uh, that's your problem. You're going to go to hell. Right? Now, he could have preached the gospel like that, and that would have been Paul being indifferent, but it, he wouldn't have been very effective, would he? Yeah, because you need the person who's delivering the message to have a passion and a compassion there. And so you've got to be involved. But on the other hand, uh, if he preached the gospel and if people didn't get saved, he was, he was distraught and he couldn't live and he was dying and so on, then he was in trouble too. Right? So you have to understand that everything he did had a bigger picture than the people's response he was getting. You see, when it comes to our lives, very often, we're, if, if other people do the right things, our lives are a lot easier, aren't they? Problem is, other people don't do the right things, do they? Other people don't get it right. They don't do the right things in terms of the right things that you want them to do, the things you'd like to see happen. Right? And, um, you know, we can't be hooked to other people, and yet we can't be indifferent. And we talked about the Stoics, and I thought, thought that was fascinating uh, when we talked about the Stoics. And the Stoics would tell themselves, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And um, no matter what happened. And the idea was that they would work them, themselves up to the place where no matter what happened, they didn't care. Now, you have to die emotionally to do that. That's what they did, but the, and they called that peace and contentment. But that's not peace and contentment. That's you just cutting off uh, parts of yourself on the, on, on the inside so you don't feel anything. Right? So you've got to understand that it's, it's not about being indifferent and it's not about being hooked and tied to other people. Right? Now it is about confidence in God's providence. Okay? We talked about, we sung that just there about does Jesus care? Right? One, of the, one of the verses was interesting. When you, when you wake up with that nameless dread, you ever wake up like that? You just wake up in the morning and you don't know why. But that nameless dread is upon you. You're fearful. Whatever's happened in the night, you know, you just wake up with that. Does Jesus care? Yeah. Now, what does that mean if he cares? I can talk to him about it. I can bring, him, bring it to him. He knows. He understands. Does Jesus care? Yeah, he does care. Right? And I've got to depend upon his providence. And we talked about two angles on God's providence, two, two ways God intersects in our lives, right? What was the first way that we talked about? Do you remember? Faith. Pardon? He says faith, so you're, you're, you're pardon what he says. That's good, right? <laughs> that's, that's like copying in school, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, and the only thing about copying in school is if the other guy's wrong, you're definitely wrong, and you're, and you're caught. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, um, so the, the two ways we said were miracles. God can intersect in your life in a miracle. He can just turn everything upside down and do something he wants to do. Right? But he doesn't always do that, does he? Sometimes God works just in the circumstances. He creates a situation in your life to achieve something in your life, and it doesn't matter to him how much it takes to do that, how many situations he needs to touch 
to actually bring a circumstance to happen in your life. See, he's big enough to do that. So God can do that in your life. God's never taken by surprise. We're taken by surprise you know, by, by things. But, so we think God is, but God's never taken by surprise. So God can work, his providence can work in your life. But here's the thing you've got to understand. Nothing is happening in my life that my father is not in. Nothing. Nothing has happened in my life and nothing is happening in my life that my father's not involved in. Nothing. He's always involved. Now, that one truth taken on board and becoming real in me is powerful to bring me contentment. I don't always like what's happening in my life. You don't always like what's happening in your life. I don't always like it. Now listen, you know what? I generally I'm pretty happy with it, but there are things that happen in my life that I'm not happy with. I, and if, and, if, and if, if my happiness with the situation is the end goal of it, well, you know what? Sometimes it's not working out right. But if I understand that my heavenly Father has a hand in it and there's a bigger picture, you know what? I can get my head around that. And it's very important that we get this truth that God is always at work in my life and I, have, I need to have a confidence in God's providence. All right? Now, I'm not sure. I think we just touched this one last week. Number three in your sheet there is satisfaction with little. Right? Did we, we, we just touched that one, didn't we? Was anybody here last week? <laughs> just, just wondering. You know, was I the only one that was here, you know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Satisfaction with the, look at look at um, Philippians four ten there again right. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity right. Uh, and Paul had confidence in God's uh, in God's working in his life. And then verse eleven and twelve, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know about how to, how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Right? So Paul could be happy with a little, and he could be blessed by a lot. But he didn't need a lot. And you see, here's what we need to understand. Our needs are few. Our wants are are endless. And we get them confused regularly. We confuse our needs and our wants regularly. And that causes us such pain. Because understand this, you know, if you need something and God has the power to give it to you and he doesn't give it to you, even your faith gets called into question. See, so if I need something and God hasn't given it to me, what conclusion can I draw? Pardon? You don't need it. If I needed it, my Heavenly Father would supply it. Now, do we get that? Do we understand that? You need to grapple with that one and kind of get your head around that one because if you don't get your head around that one and you get your, your wants and your needs confused, you know... <coughs> It's always going to be trouble for you. Right? You don't need all the things you think that you need. We've got a whole bunch of things that we need uh, that are not needs at all. Well, what do I need? What do I absolutely need? Pardon? Food. food right? I need food. Right? If you hang around the men's home for any amount of time, you'll know 
People need food, right? Because that's, that's kind of the center of the men's home is food. No, sorry, guys. Not at the center, but it's close to. Right? <clears throat> okay, so food's very important. That's very important for all of us. Right? I mean, you can, you can live for quite some time without food, but I tell you what, it's not fun, it's not comfortable, and rapidly it will do you damage. So I need food. I need food and I need water. They're, they're absolute needs. Okay? What else do I need? Okay, social interaction. What were you going to say? Shelter. Pardon? Shelter. shelter. I need shelter. You know, I need food and raiment. I need, I need, <clears throat> I need food and raiment, and I need, um, <clears throat> I need food and I need raiment. Right? Okay. Social interaction. I, you know what? There's a truth there because if I don't interact with somebody, I'm going to get sick in the head pretty rapidly. Right? So I do need social social interaction. Now, what else do I need? Okay, we need to get saved. We need Jesus, yeah. Money. money. Well, hang on, do I need money? No, hang on. Hang on, let's, let's think it through. I remember, I remember hearing a story. It was a really, really fascinating story. Uh, there was a church, and they were praying. Uh, they had to meet. They, they, they were buying a building, and they were praying for money to buy the building. Right? And they were praying and praying and praying for money to buy the building. And um, <clears throat> somebody said, we don't need money. We just need the building which sounded pretty dumb, but what happened was they were actually given the building with no money involved in it. Some money? Pardon? With candles? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, well, what we're talking about our personal needs, the things that we absolutely need. Now, you can put some of those things in food and raiment. God never ties us to just those things that we need. But we have to recognize what are those things that I need. I mean... <clears throat> I wouldn't like to come here tonight with candles, would you? It's kind of fun on our candlelight, candlelight night, isn't it? <clears throat> but, you know, but could we manage? Yeah, people did, didn't they? People managed in churches with candles, you know. You see, again, we're not looking at needs all the time. We're sometimes confusing wants with needs, and then we get in trouble. Right? We get in trouble. <clears throat> what else do you need? Pardon? Shelter. shelter. Yep, we need shelter. We definitely need shelter. Okay. Pardon? Clothing. Yep, we need raiment, shelter, clothing. Yes, Jason. We need to have faith. We need God. And that's a whole separate thing. Yeah, but we need a relationship with God. We're, we're born for that and we need that. Hugh Daly. Wisdom. Okay, well, yeah, those are things tied up in our faith. Yeah, good. Who else had a hand up? Well, purpose. Okay, we need purpose, right? <clears throat> um, and... <clears throat> Now, the problem with those things is that we can spread this thing of needs out far. Say I'm stuck in a dumb job at the time being that really isn't, isn't really stretching my head and is not making me a lot of money, and I feel like I have no purpose. Do I need purpose? I would like purpose. I would like a better job. But it's not a need. Now, it's really important that we catch this, Right? <clears throat> does the wife absolutely need a husband who's devoted to her and loves her? Oh. <laughs> okay. Now, now the, the, the ladies are going to fight with us about that, right? But no, you don't. You don't need that. I mean, because the reality is a lot of people don't have that. Okay? If that was an absolute need, you could bring it to God and you could say, God, I need this, and God would do something. But you don't need that. Okay, now do, you, do you understand? I'm not saying that's not a good thing. I'm not saying that's not a thing to pray about. I'm not saying that's not a thing that would be right to have. 
But if you put it on the level of a need, you're in trouble. Do you understand? What happens if, if you get him and he's just perfect? He's everything you want him to be, right? And um, if you have a husband like that, do tell me about it because I'd, like, uh, I'd like to know about that, right? <clears throat> but you get him and he's everything you want to be. He's perfect. He does it all. Then he dies. You know, <clears throat> I mean, what's, where are you then? <laughs> you see, hey, the, the, the reality is then you're snookered. No, you don't need that. You don't need the car you think you need. You don't need the house you think you need. You do need some very basic minimum things. God always supplies those and takes care of those. And he gives you a whole lot more. And what happens is you elevate the whole lot more into the area of needs. And they're not needs. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, go home and, uh, you know, everybody walk home and you don't have to have all the things you have. God's given you those things. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But we don't need them. See, Paul could live in his own hired house in Rome and entertain visitors and so on because he had the money to do it. And then they slung him in the maritime prison. And he could be content wherever he was. Right? Because he had learned that the circumstances are don't give me my contentment. Right? So we've got to understand that. Everything is not a need in my life. In fact, a lot of the things we think we need are not needs at all. They're wants. But if you think you need it, you're going to be heartsick until you get it. So, so be careful. You can, you can elevate things to needs and then they bore a hole in you. Because it's a need. Because I need this. And sometimes we do this too. We think that if God knows it's a need and we convince him that it's a need, then he's going to do it. Did you ever try that one on God? Yeah, you have, haven't you? And he didn't come to the party, did he? Because he doesn't, he doesn't budge for stuff like that. But what does happen when you do that is you get all torn up inside because you've got something you have to have and God's not giving it to you. And you get torn up. You get shredded inside. So, you see, there's... Paul is really offering us some help here. You, you, you're not, you don't need the things that you need. Oftentimes, it's just a deception that goes in there. I have to have this. I need this. If I can't have this, I'd rather die. God, if you don't do this, I, I can't live. And God is saying, you'll live. You'll be fine. Do you ever see a child and, and when they need something, right? <clears throat> Right? Uh, they, 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 they might need their, uh, they might need a lollipop, something as silly as that, right? They've seen a lollipop and they need the lollipop. They have to have the lollipop and they need it and, and they're done. And they're getting chewed up and eaten alive because they have to have this lollipop. And mom is saying, no, you're not having it. Because she knows dinner time's coming up. And what happens is the child lets this thing come in and eat and they, they'll be in floods of tears because they need this thing. Well, you know what? We do the same sometimes, except we're too clever to be in floods of tears about it. We just we put on a good show, but the reality is we've created a need where there was not a need. Your needs are very few. God will meet all of your needs. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And you know the truth of it is he'll add unto you a whole lot more than your needs but don't you get bent out of shape over something that you think you need when you don't really need it. 
Right? That's, that's really wise counsel for you. I've done it. I've gotten myself bent over something that I needed, that I didn't really need, and it, it can chew a hole in you for a long time. Don't let it happen, right? Okay. So then detachment from circumstances. Philippians 14, uh, 11. Confidence in God's promises. Um, satisfaction with little. And then detachment from circumstances. <clears throat> Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, what does Paul mean there? Okay, let's, let's say you get word from the hospital, you had tests done recently, and you get word from the hospital uh, that you have cancer. And you're going to have to face chemo, and you're going to have to face... Uh, treatment, and they're not sure, but there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a 50-50 chance that it's going to kill you, and there's a 50-50 chance that you will live, and you're just looking down the gun barrel of this awful time in your life, right? Now, can you be contented? Let me ask you this. Can you be happy? I'm not sure you can be happy because happiness depends on circumstances. I think you could have joy because God's at work and I think that you could have contentment. Now, what would you find in that to be contented about? Nikki? Okay, at the end of the day, I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Right? I mean, that would, that would, Paul lived this way, by the way. Right, Paul lived this way. Uh, Paul said uh, that, 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 that the circumstances that he lived in, let me read it for you, because uh, it's not coming to my mind. Romans, Romans chapter 8. I'll read it. You, you, you just take it easy, folks. I want you working too hard tonight. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll read it for you, okay? Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And what's he doing there? What he's doing is he's saying, hang on a minute, I am going to heaven. I am going to enjoy glory forevermore. And I tell you what, I have worked it out that what I'm going through right now is not worthy to be compared with what I'm going to have in heaven. Could that make you, could that give you contentment in your situation? Yeah. What else would give you contentment in your situation? Well, you know, the, the things Paul went through, did he expect rewards for them? Yeah, he did. He expected when he got to heaven. If, if, you, if you read Paul's writings, Paul was expecting rewards. He was expecting uh, when he got to heaven that he was going to get rewards for these things. Now, we have two problems there. First of all, we don't really reckon ourselves as children of heaven a lot of the time. And secondly, we think it's kind of mealy mouth uh, to go to heaven uh, and expect rewards. Well, God made you. He knows what makes you tick. And he made you and told you there's rewards. So you know what? Get on board with what God is doing and reckon on the rewards. Right? <clears throat> Listen, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And if I got into heaven, you know, may tell between my legs, so to speak, I'd be happy. But you know what? I'm not going expecting that. I'm expecting rewards. One of, the, one of the reasons why I'm not focused on retirement is because, you know what? That's not the end line for me. The end line is when I look into the face of Jesus and, and, and he receives me. That's the end line. So, you know, you need to look to that and expect that to be good because that puts this life in perspective. That can make you content with difficulties now because you're going to be with him then.
Right? So understand that, that, you know, you can be detached from your circumstances because your circumstances are bigger than what's happening around you. Your circumstances are, you're a child of heaven. You're a prince or a princess. You're on your way to heaven. Uh, And we need to do this. We need to keep one foot, one eye on this world, and one eye on heaven. We need to set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It has the ability to change everything for us on this level. You know, everything can be changed. Because you can get so down and depressed and sad about what's happening to you right now. And what's going to be happening to you for the next couple of weeks. And you can feel like your life isn't worth living uh, because things are hard and things are... But hang on a minute, you're much bigger than that. Your circumstances, your life is much bigger than that. You've got eternity. You're, go- you're going to be with him. But <clears throat> so you can be detached from circumstances. Then you can be sustained by divine power. What does that mean? To be sustained by divine power. Let me ask you, how many of you have experienced a really tough time in your Christian life, but you felt as though God was bearing you up on wings? Oh, so you can be sustained by divine power. It's real. Could you honestly expect that, or is that just hit and miss? You could expect it, couldn't you? So if you got word you were facing chemotherapy, you, you, could, you could legitimately say, okay, this is not what I want. This is not the plan I, I, I had for my life. But if God's going to do this in my life, then I know he's going to be with me in it. And I'm going to enjoy his presence. Now, would that have the ability to change the situation somewhat for you? You still wouldn't be looking forward to chemotherapy, but the situation would be changed somewhat for you because... You're expecting God to be with you in it. You're expecting God to sustain you in it. You see, here's the thing. We have an arsenal of things to help us that we often forget about. You know, you're you're facing the problem and you spiral down. Now look, rarely do we just grab it and run with it instantly. But we don't have to spiral down and then crawl back out of the hole. No, my God's going to help me. He's going to be with me. If I have to go through this tough time, he's going to be with me. He's going to help me. I am going to know his presence and his power in the situation. And you you should expect that. And in fact, if you think back to the things that have happened to you in the past, you know, usually at a certain point in the trouble and the struggle, you come to the place where you start resting in him and you start enjoying his presence. The quicker you can get there, the more you're going to enjoy of it. Whatever problem it is God God puts in your life, the quicker you can get to the place where you're resting in him, the more you're going to enjoy it. The more you're going to enjoy him. You can be sustained by divine power. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 29, right? Many of you can quote it for us. Who's going to quote quote it for me? Isaiah 40, verse 29. Let me read it for you. Isaiah 40, verse 29. The verse I'm thinking about is the, is the wrong one. <clears throat> they wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. You've got to wait upon the Lord. And you can mount up as, <clears throat> with wings as eagles. I say 40, verse 29. 
He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. God does that for you. God works in you. He gives you power. And, and by the way, is that, is that a principle that's always true? Right? That God gives power to the faint. Isn't that the principle that Paul teaches us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, I want to be strong. That's, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to face problems. But you know what? If I have to be weak for him to be strong, that's a different thing, isn't it? So that when you're facing weakness, uh, he's there. He will sustain you with his divine power. So, you know, Paul had learned that in the tough situation, he could expect God to be there and to sustain him. Now, one other thing, and then we're going to leave it, right? A preoccupation with the well-being of others. Do you see that there with Paul? Uh, Paul is not so concerned about Paul as he is about other people. Look at even, even, even what he says to these people. Um, look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but as I desire fruit that may abound to your account. What's Paul saying? What's he thinking there? Not because I desire a gift, but because I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's talking to the Philippians who've just sent him money, who've just taken care of him. What's he desiring of them or for them? Okay, that they will be rewarded for what they're doing. He's not focused on what they're doing for him. He's focused on the fact that they're going to get a reward. Now, Here's a principle that's going to help us with our contentment and help us greatly, right? If I'm focused on me, I'm going to have a hard time being contented. Because when will it be enough? When will you have enough? When will you have enough money? When will you have enough love? When will you have enough of anything? I mean, when I'm focused on me, there's never enough. Okay? But if I'm focused on others and get my eyes off myself, it's going to be a real help to me. Jesus said this. He said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's the truth. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see my grandchildren sometimes, you know, you'll see them. (coughs) Children typically uh, (coughs) are not selfless. Typically they want for them. But you'll see them sometimes. You'll see them sometimes. I was watching one of them last night and she was, she was, she had all these little, um, you know, the <clears throat> chocolate coins. Val had bought, another cho- bought her the chocolate coins, a bag of the chocolate coins. You know, she had euros and she had 10 cents. And she was dividing them into piles to give one each to her sibling. And I thought, that is fantastic. This kid's getting it, right? <clears throat> a few years ago, she wouldn't have thought of doing that. But this kid's got, and I point out where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, she's learning a truth that if she follows through with it, will have a huge impact on her life. Because she could have kept all the, she liked the chocolate. She could have kept all the chocolate for herself. It was hers. She didn't have to give it away. But she was actually getting a kick out of giving it away. She was getting a kick. And you know, when we come to the place where we start getting a kick, out of being a blessing to other people. We get a kick out of giving. That's a real help in our lives. When we start getting, getting a kick out of that, <clears throat> it's, it's more blessed for us to give than it is for us to receive. You see, if I'm always waiting for somebody else to give to me, if Paul's sitting in prison, right, and he's saying, here I am in prison for the gospel. Didn't do anything wrong. 
I've been doing the right thing. I've been preaching the gospel. I preached to all these people right across uh, this place. And I, I preached to those people in Philippi and they've forgotten about me. They don't care. They, they, they couldn't give a toss about me. They just, they, they'd just forgotten him. You know, he could have worked himself down into a deep hole, couldn't he? He could have forgotten. Can't we do that? Don't you know people that do that? Do you know anybody that does that and is happy? You don't, do you? That'll destroy your happiness. That'll destroy your contentment. What you've got to do is you've got to keep your eyes off yourself and you've got to keep your focus on how you can be a help and a blessing to others. Right? You've got to do that. Let me give you some verses. I'll, I'll give you some of them to read and you, you read them for me. Philippians 1 verse 9. Anto, Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25, right? Um, <clears throat> Proverbs 19, verse 17. Can you find that yet? Proverbs 19, verse 17? I'm going to get some others here. Michael, will you do Proverbs 19, verse 17 for us, right? Jer, Luke six thirty eight, And Beth, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now, we'll read these quick. Philippians 1, verse 9, yep. Okay, here's Paul. It's the beginning of this epistle. He's in prison. And what's he praying? He's not praying for himself. He's not saying, pray for me, brothers, I'm having a hard time. You don't find him moaning at all in this whole thing. He's praying for them. His focus is never on himself and on his problem. All right, Anton. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Okay, there is that scattereth and increases. What does that mean? Pardon? So unreaped. Yeah, you, you see the farmer, the farmer goes out and he scatters. Now, why does he scatter? Does he scatter to, to reap back what he's, what he's sown? No, he scatters to reap back a whole lot more than he's sown. Right? And there is that withholdeth. Right? Holds on and says, okay, it's mine. You know what? This is all mine. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to make sure this is mine. I'm going to keep all this. And yet, when you hold on to it, you lose it. And you've got you, you, you to catch that. We've got to understand that there are principles that God has put in the world that everybody is affected by, and that's one of them. If you hold on to it, you lose. If you give it, if you spread it, if you bless others, and it's not just money, it's right across the board. If you bless others, it's going to come back to you. That's a principle. Right? That's, that's the way it works. So you, but you've got to get that. You've got to get that in your head. You've got to get that in your heart. Now, hang on a minute. I want to be somebody who gives. You see, it's fascinating, and it, we haven't got time for it, but in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, it talks about the old man, right? and it says, Let him that stole steal no, more, steal no more, but rather let him labor that he may have to give. The old man is a taker. He's a stealer. He wants for himself. But the new man works so that he can give. Now, you've got to get that principle. That principle is not some, a, a way to to extort money out of you. God doesn't need your money. You need to give. You need to give. 
You need to, we, we, need to, we need to be a people that give. Uh, and if we're not, we're going to be in trouble. Okay, um, Proverbs 19, verse 17. Michael. Okay, he that hath pity on, pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and he will repay again. Okay, <clears throat> okay, um, who's got Luke 6.38? Sure? Okay. Okay, you're, you, you're going to read for her, yes? On behalf of you. You can't read with her accent, though. <laughs> Okay, give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, shaken down, flowing over. That when you give, God gives back. See, something happens. There's a principle involved in giving that, you know, you don't feel it, you don't see it, but you know what? God says it's there, and it is there. And if you will obey the principle, what you're going to find is you're going to find it coming back to you. Okay, last verse, Bethel. Okay, he would sow sparingly, reap sparingly, and he would sow bountifully, reaps bountifully. Prince, and that's talking about giving. All right? So here's the idea, folks. If I want to be content, I've got to give. I've got to give. I've got to find ways to give. I've got to not hoard it for myself. If I hoard it for myself, I'll never have enough. But if I give, it turns around. It changes. Now, that seems totally back to front, doesn't it? Try it, though. It's the truth. If you give, it comes back to you, right? So <clears throat> the secret of contentment, right? Learn to be independent, but not indifferent. Have confidence in God's providence. God will give you everything you need. If he doesn't give it to you, you got it wrong. You don't need it. My God shall supply all your needs. All. Listen, if God doesn't give it to you, you don't need it. And you've got to understand that. <clears throat> Confidence in God's providence. Satisfaction with little. Don't let all the things. We live in a world that, 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 that actually runs off making you and I want stuff. Right? And you've got to say, no, I don't need it. I don't need all that stuff. That's fine. If God gives you stuff, that's fine. But you know what? You don't need it all. Detachment from circumstances. Circumstances can't dictate your com- contentment. If they do, you'll always be discontent. You've got to learn how to abound and how to be abased. You've got to learn those things. And then you've got to get preoccupied with the well-being of others, not with yourself. As long as you're focused on you, you're going to be unhappy and dissatisfied. But when you start giving, when you start giving of yourself, of your life, of your substance, when you start giving, you know what? Something happens. You change. And you've got you to get beyond that. You know, God so loved that he what? He gave. You want to be God-like? Give. He so loved that he gave. You know, don't live in the place where you always think, I'll never have enough, never have enough for me. And a lot of people living like that, emotionally dragging out of other people, you know, financially dragging out of other people, living like, I'll I'll never have enough, I'll never have enough, I need you to give me something. And they, they become terrible people to be around. You don't want to be around them. No, you listen, you need to understand, I can give. You say, but sometimes I don't have anything to give. Give anyway. You'll be amazed when we looked on Sunday night at the, at the widow woman. We didn't, didn't focus on this part. Imagine that poor little widow woman when Elijah came to her. 
And Elijah comes and Elijah says, make me a cake first. Would you ever just go get lost? I haven't got enough food for the child and you're asking me for, for half of it? Would you ever just... But she gave what she didn't have. And because she trusted God, God fed her throughout the whole famine. She and her child were sustained. That's a truth that you find in Scripture again and again. God will take care of you, but you've got to give. All right. <clears throat> okay. Any questions or, or, or comments? We've got smiling classes for Wednesday night, folks, right? <clears throat> All right. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Now, Lord, would you bless us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.